I'm Don Wisher. And I'm Katie Metz. And this is How to Teach College. Welcome back to How to Teach College. We're so excited to be back. Unfortunately, though, we are not in front of a live audience. It's so sad. I know. I actually am sad. It was, <laughs> it was really fun to it be fun. at the Falcon Conference. We were there in early November talking in front of a live audience just about, in general, how we teach college and, and kind of getting some feedback from people. I had a lot of fun there. It was good. They brought energy into the room. Some really good but questions. But it's just us. It's just us it's again. Just so we us. have to bring the energy. <laughs> so I've brought my coffee because that's how I bring energy. I think I have water <laughs> because I might have overhyped myself with coffee already this morning. Oops. So today we're continuing the conversation about how we learn. That was a theme that we were really deliberate about in the Falcon conference. Um, and so this is sort of like a transitional podcast to quickly debrief about Falcon and that live podcast. I was so excited that we were there. So thank you to everybody <laughs> who showed up. Thank you for those of you who have subscribed since we told you that we have a podcast yes, about hello. how we teach college. Hello there. And then um, also why why we're continuing to talk about how we learn. And, and I think the big premise of transitioning this how do we learn to a part two is that um, there's this misnomer that you can be an expert in your discipline, but and that that means you will be a good teacher mm-hmm. in the classroom. That I'm good at accounting. I'm good at t- learning about history or even talking about history, and that that will translate into being a good teacher of history, psychology. You can put literally any of your subjects in there, um, but that does not equal expertise in pedagogy or teaching. Mm-hmm. And I just think that one of the themes that will continue post holiday break or unofficial season two, (laughs) if you will, is that we need to really focus on how pedagogy and teaching skills facilitate our understanding of our discipline. We're here because of our discipline, but we also need to learn how to teach. Um, Many of the best practitioners in our discipline are not cut out for the classroom. Hi, dad. My dad (laughs) probably doesn't listen to this podcast, but he's an amazing human, a wonderful human, and one of the the bases of my success in life and um, as a human. Um, he's a fantastic tax partner in an accounting firm. He is the tax partner. And he uh, would not only hate what my job, <laughs> I'm a tax professor, right. but he would not be cut out for that. He just yeah. doesn't, he doesn't, um, he doesn't know about teaching and pedagogy. He doesn't care as much. So, right. So it's like, you gotta, yeah, you have to sort of have the the personality or the love for it, but also be willing to, to learn it and to practice it. And so today specifically, we're going to talk about, just debriefing, like Katie said, from that that Falcon conference, I'd love to share a couple of things that I learned because that is how we learn. And then just reiterating again, this notion of understanding pedagogy, not just our discipline, but the importance of of, of caring and, and making it something that we do continue to study. And then we will only touch on this because it will be something we'll talk about in future episodes, but also just trends in the, in the future of pedagogy. So yes, I would love to share a couple of things that I learned. The The two sessions that I was able to go to on the day where we got to do the live podcast in the morning, I was able to go to a couple sessions later in the day. And there was one that was titled, You Don't Know What You Don't Know. And it made me think of, of the expert blind spot that... that you got to do, Katie. Um, so and fun. I don't know that I've I've only listened to part of that one. So I get to go back and be a listener in that case. But this was more helping students realize or and us even helping our understand who our students are. So Lisa Thompson 
teaches in psychology. And so this is based on psychology research that it's the people who are less experts that think they know more and people who are actually experts don't believe they know as much. So so I guess this is from psychology research. But the problem with that is that sometimes even our younger students can truly think they know it all and think they are awesome at whatever we're asking them to do because they don't know the full picture. So they can't really put themselves on a spectrum of, of kind of where they should be. I noticed that specifically when I was in freshman level classes. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm in a position where I teach mostly seniors, but I know you teach mostly freshmen. Right. In my previous position, yeah. I was teaching a freshman. It doesn't matter big or small class. They come out of high school with a, a sense of self what for better or for worse and and a lot of teaching freshmen is teaching them what they don't know so that they can learn more about what they should know right well and one thing I found interesting and so I found this interesting as a professor who does teach freshmen because they've just left high school like you you noted but also as a mom I mean I have a toddler but I'm already thinking about what is the landscape going to look like for Addison when she's in junior high and high school and one thing that this professor talked about at this conference was how students are collaborating more and more and more. And so A, it does blur the lines of what's cheating and what's collaborating, which is pretty interesting because with Google Docs, just understanding that when they come to our classroom, they may already be primed to think that all of their work should be basically this like communal project. But she was also saying the danger in that. So there's, I just thought that was kind of interesting from two parts to think about how the next generation really does work in community, but also the idea that they are working in community of non-experts. So if, oh, if they're editing each other's yeah. papers, they're like, that is so good. And a lot of times they think like the more flowery language you use rather than concise wording, they think the bigger words are is a, is a better paper. So they're getting this feedback from their peers who are not the teacher. They're not experts in writing. And they're like, oh, that's amazing. So A, the danger there of you know, you're kind of crowdsourcing, but from people that are on your level. Oh my gosh, this is so yes. funny because the other day, this is like so random in a classroom the other day, and, and this is kind of a bad story, I'll be honest. Half, like <laughs> Those 90, are the best ones. 90% of my stories are unkind or unfair to That's somebody, I like, um, mostly me. I like um, the drama. So I caught a couple of students in class the other day looking at each other's computers while they were taking a quiz. So it was like the dumbest thing ever. Right. They're taking a quiz on their computer. It's in lockdown browser, so they can't, they're not supposed to get on the internet. They can't do it. Right. They're looking at each other's computers. And and the only way, I was like mad. Why would you cheat in my class? Right. It's stupid. And I didn't and say anything. you're not even anything. doing it well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. You're not even doing it well. You're not even doing it in a situation that's like really that beneficial for you. But the thing I said, instead of I'm grabbing you for academic misconduct, it wasn't really provable, was hello there. Hello out there. Um, Your, your friends aren't as smart as you think they are. Right. Right? It's like you can look over there, but... They I may just, have it wrong. I just saw the friend on the other side of you submit the quiz, and he didn't do that great. Right. I mean, don't look at so, that one. So I actually remind my students, like, yeah, collaborate, yeah. but don't rely on your friends to be that super smart. They might be. Right. You never know. But but that can't be, like, the <laughs> the relying factor. It was just, like, such a weird thing I had yeah. to say. Well, and so, I, so I think there's a shift, and maybe this could be a future podcast that we yeah. could talk about because um, it does seem like there's a shift, and we are asking for collaborating but what is that line and understanding kind of where they're coming from high school. So I just thought all of that was really interesting. There was more takeaways from that. Yeah. But the other one that I was able to go to was called Cultivating Trust with Project Groups. And guess what? They did some improv. We all know that's oh, my love. That's your love. But it was interesting just because, and we're going to talk, we've talked about teams. We'll talk more about teams. 
but basically they're they understood that you're kind of just meeting these new people and expected to just work with them and sort of just automatically have this culture. And so they just did some fun things with these teams. One example, this sounds silly, but actually it was kind of fun because they had us do it, is that they gave everybody it was like a sticker. And so some people had dogs, some people had cats. Oh, and okay. to find your group members, you had to make the noise of said animal. Oh, weird. I know. Oh, and there were people that wouldn't do I'm it. Sorry, and but... you know me. I mean, you can see the the yin and yang, right, of, of Katie and I, I would, here. So you did it, right? Oh. And I did I, it, you I know, would've... on a level 110. I, I was like, let me be the dog, right? I would let have stood in a corner dog. and cried. And there, there were those of you that did. And yeah. it was fine because we found each other and we were like, okay, we know that I am me and I will do what I'm going to do and, and thank God that there's you because they, we have to have that balance. So yeah, that one was kind of kind of funny. But yeah, and I can't remember all of the others that we did, but it was pretty interesting. You know, you can I feel like I don't like icebreaker. If you say icebreaker, yes. I suddenly am very opposed. But when you say it's improv, suddenly I'm like, oh yes, let's do it. So framing um, a yeah, little bit, it cultivating is. trust by framing. That's yeah. really interesting. I feel like, but just yeah. having them do something to break down those barriers early on. Yes, and they actually the research that they looked at and that what they had done just you know qualitatively in their classes was that the teams where they gave them something to do to build a bond early on, they did perform better. That's fantastic. And and this is actually really timely that we learned about this at Falcon because our next episode is going to be about how we assess teams. Mm -hmm. So once we form them, how we get them. Man, that was really awesome. That sounds like... So those were a couple takeaways. I thought, yeah, I love going to these sessions. I know that we said it in part one, but just this notion of you may go in and see the title and think you're going to get something specific out of it. And you may not. And and I know you, you said this, so I want to reiterate it is not to, you know, have that internal eye roll or to automatically close and go to another session or, or leave the room or even get on a laptop and start working, but to think, okay, but what did I get out of this? Right. It wasn't what I thought, but can I take something else away? Or, you know, in that first 30 seconds, hey, at least I have this idea and maybe I draft a new project because right. something was sparked. Well, we got a question offline after the um, episode that we taped was over at Falcon. And, and the question was effectively, what do we do as a podcast team to ensure that our podcast is multidisciplinary? And that's exactly the type of thing that we're talking about is I very rarely talk specifically about what I teach. Right. And we, you know, as listeners, what both of us teach very broadly and kind of where our backgrounds came from, but that you can take an idea. So, so, I guess to rephrase, don't write something off because you don't see it as directly relating to your discipline. Yes. And, And in that context, um, that sort of expertise in our discipline does not equal expertise in teaching. I think one of the reasons that people are so quick to write off things like, well, that you didn't mention, I'm a history professor and you didn't mention history in your podcast is that um, it's very, very easy to write that sort of thing off and not really have the motivation. And I get it. I've been there so many times to translate it into, yeah, but how could this actually help me? Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. teach that exact same class. I actually don't even teach anything super close to this. But how might I be able to take a, a fundamental component of it and make it mine? I didn't think there was a lot on this, by the way. This whole expertise in our discipline does not equal expertise in teaching. I did a quick Google search. I know that this is true, but I wanted to see what the the internet, what the Google machine yeah. thought about it. Man, there's a lot of information out there about this. And, and a lot of it is studies about how... Um, universities have done a better job facilitating teaching excellence in discipline-specific contexts 
one of the articles I read actually literally had that title, Facilitating Teaching Excellence in <laughs> Discipline-Specific Contexts. And this was um, in uh, the Faculty Focus Higher Ed Teaching and Learning journal. And it was a, a 2008 article, but it had a lot of really interesting feedback because this team did some research with its own faculty members and started to gather basically some resources about what um, their faculty members needed. So a lot of this revolved around custom developed training programs specific to a discipline. And I just want to briefly touch on this particular topic because we'll go more into the actual trends and fundamentals later on. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I thought was really interesting is that this is actually becoming a trend. We're seeing this at our own Center for Innovative Teaching and Learning, SIDL, at um, here at IU in Bloomington, where you'll start to see these workshops pop up that are suddenly STEM focused or suddenly uh -huh. communication focused or qualitative focused. So even if we're not talking about a situation where it's like, hey, people who are interested in teaching marketing come to this place or hey, those of you who are in international studies or brain psychology come to this workshop, we're at least starting to think about discipline specific pedagogy in in buckets yeah. rather than just, hey, everybody, come here. And I think that's one of the frustrations sometimes that, that people have is that they they don't feel like they're going to get much out of it because it's not directly related yeah. to their discipline. So I'm seeing that trend a little bit no, that's um, good. more. We also have both found that we learn about pedagogy in our own disciplines from direct sources like conferences or um, kind of organic sessions. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, well, actually, really quickly, before we transition to that, I'm actually going to an NTT workshop today oh, yeah. that Siddle um, that and Facet put on together. And I know when I've gone to those, something that's been interesting, and again, I mean, we're always kind of thinking about future podcast ideas to, to chat with each other and chat with all of you about, but one that was interesting was they changed the title, but this was the secret. For a real title, it was the notion of hand holding or tough love, right? And it seemed like it was even some of the women in the room that maybe set more boundaries. So maybe realizing, oh, we are going yeah. to maybe have a stop time to email because we have decided that that we want to you know, have just our self-care time, or maybe that is time for the toddler, right? Um, but <laughs> it's something where we're, we were able to set the boundaries. Or some people even realize, you know, I don't need to set these boundaries, but I'm aware of other people that maybe they're a single mom. And so I want to oh, sort of yeah. set this culture to help them to basically say, no, I'm not always available to you. So even just hearing other women that, that might be teaching over in math or in science, but hearing... And not just the women, there were men in the room, but how how they show their students that they are approachable, but still they're able to set boundaries. So even things like that, just kind of classroom practices, it doesn't matter what discipline you're in, we're all sort of in this together. And what what are student expectations? How do we meet them, but still have boundaries? Right. So even things like that can come up in these workshops oh, or yeah, these conferences. That, and that's really true. I had a, you know, we're getting toward to finals week. Many of you are actually doing finals next week and IU is going a week late. We started a week later than many people out there. Um, and so I'm having students who are really starting to panic and I get it, man, yeah. do I get it. But their um, context for panic is different from mine in that I literally had a student yesterday ask me if I could meet this weekend. 
to go over his grade and talk right. about some things. And man, am I happy to meet with him but so much time. Weekend. Not on the weekend. No. Because kind of getting your students to think, and man, is this an episode that we could just talk about oh, yeah. for hours. Yeah. But getting students to think about the discipline itself, the context of this is my career. Right. That I know this is your life. You're in college right now, but this is my career. And so. And it kind will of, be your career soon. Yeah. You're not going to be asking your boss or a client right, to meet on the weekend. Right. Compartmentalizing yeah. a little sure. bit. And, that, and part of our job, I guess my point in saying that is teaching our students also to compartmentalize a little bit and think about their mm-hmm. own time management in the context of that. And I even say that's um, a how we learn kind of as no, we're learning totally these things. Is. We're sharing it's absolutely with them. how we learn that we're sharing with them. But yeah, yeah. I can definitely talk. And I know we're um, probably starting to, to get to be wrapping up, but um, one of the conferences that I often go to is called ABC, the association of business communicators And something that they do that I I know I've seen at other conferences that's helpful, they call them lightning rounds or even speed dating rounds, quick idea sessions. And sometimes they'll have you in a round table where you just get like a minute on the clock to quickly go through. One of them is my favorite assignment. Yes, my favorite assignment. Or I know they've done ones that are specific to maybe diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And people only get a minute, which isn't a long time. I'm long-winded. I know that's hard to believe for anybody listening. But you get that minute, and so it forces you to to be succinct, and that gives the opportunity for the people in the room to hear a number of ideas right. and sort of just okay, what sticks sticks that yes. I can use, and, and, and what doesn't, doesn't, that's okay. It doesn't have to be like a big thing either. Right. I found that my best conference ideas have come from literally somebody doing a thirty second idea, and mm-hmm. and if it again, I cannot emphasize enough for those of you listening who are thinking about this in the context of your own discipline. Don't write it off just because it doesn't directly relate to you. Pick something out and go, how can I translate this into something that might work in my own classroom? It doesn't even have to be the same subject. I mean, mm-hmm. it's nice if it's a similar subject, but oh yeah, I don't really teach it that way or I teach undergraduate students versus graduate students. But really start to think about how you can take one quick idea and make it yours, the, yeah. that sort of creativity in the classroom. I know that my department kind of does this in a micro level where we have these things called food for thought sessions. My colleague Anita has been super amazing at facilitating these for the department where we have uh, roughly one a month. We gather together on a Friday morning and sit down and, and we take turns basically talking about a skill that we think other people in the room might know. It's usually a small group, like 10 or fewer colleagues, but we learn so much in that room. And usually it involves some sort of follow-up. Oh, hey, I really liked that you did that. Or, oh, it seems like that idea didn't quite translate to what I was looking for, but maybe you could help me reframe it. So any opportunity you have to just get quick thoughts mm-hmm. from people, whether it's in your own department or your discipline or even across campus, yeah. it's re- I think that's really helpful. That's how I learn well, I'm most even effectively. For people who are looking for service opportunity or leadership opportunity, if you're involved in an organization where you're putting on a conference or even a mini conference, Hey, here's an idea for you. Do some quick sessions. You know, you don't have to have people present for a full hour. Tell people we want to hear your ideas and we're going to give you a minute or five. And then exactly what you just said, you know, if you're within your department and you feel like, hey, we could really be learning from one another. I know today I I can't make it, unfortunately, but we use Canvas here as our learning platform. Our course management Uh, platform. Thank you. Yes. And and so they're doing a fancify Canvas. And I'm bummed to miss it, but basically helping people see here's a way to make it look better or maybe you know we sort of created 
as the professor, but what does the student right, see? It? What would be right. a better way for them to interact with it? So someone took the lead and said, hey, let's do this. Yeah. And, and so always looking for those opportunities when you want to learn, hey, open that up to other people or take yes. the role to make it happen. And that's a great point. That is definitely a leadership opportunity. I know yeah. has had a lot of success putting that into our um, department. And I just think it's so helpful. It's like a dedicated time for me to sit down. I've, I've actually facilitated a couple of the sessions. Mm-hmm. It's really fun to be able yeah. to sit down and discuss some of the cool things you're doing and just to learn about what other people are doing on campus. I guess the final thought today would be just to put a little bit of brainstorming into all of your ears out here and talking briefly about the future of pedagogy. So like kind of what's coming up, mm-hmm. this sets us up for to talk about these more specifically later on. But I just, for those of you who are starting to think about planning for the spring semester, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what we can think about pedagogy really mean, meaning in a college classroom. So Georgia Tech did a report in February of 2016. It was a really big report discovering the drivers of change in higher education. It was one of those provost appointed projects. And one of the sections in there was called the future of pedagogy discovery. I thought this was a really impactful thing that Georgia Tech did. And in the the report obviously is in the context of Georgia Tech, a very predominantly engineering school, but they had some, they had four fundamental components of this future of pedagogical discovery uh, report that I thought were really helpful in what we're thinking about pedagogy being in the future. So they talked about this in terms of educational technologies and how we can mm-hmm. continue to work with the development of them while not making our class too techy. Yeah. Um, including whole human development. And I think this was an mm-hmm. engineering way of saying interpersonal skills. Yeah. So kind of thinking about those, what we hate to call but it's soft, soft skills. skills. Yeah, yep. soft skills. Conceptual frameworks relating the means to the ends. We've talked about this a lot on this podcast. So making sure that we're showing our classrooms or discipline as a whole, as a whole system rather yeah. than little micro pieces that don't right. have anything to do with each other throughout the semester. And then the fourth one is a culture of educational innovation, huh. which is rewarding faculty and students for developing pedagogical and learning skills. And I thought that these four That's were just so interesting, so yeah. interesting and cool. And, and so it makes it exciting too, it really to be in this profession. I, oh my gosh. I know. I was actually so jazzed yeah, to see this report good. and thinking, you know, as we're thinking about how to teach college, that's why we're all here, <laughs> of course. Um, but but what we are really doing and what we're seeing other universities doing to drive that. So, Dawn, we've done so much today. And we so, have. Are you going to include that in the notes? So I will include. I'll include the faculty focus in the um, Georgia Tech article. I think it was really interesting. That sounds good. And I will read those because that is how we learn. And, and this, this is, is how, how we teach college. college.